Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27 as we move through the New Testament and uh, just have one more chapter in Acts and uh, we finish the book. But this morning we're in chapter 27 and Paul now goes to Rome. Paul goes to Rome. He begins his journey to Rome. The decision has been made to send Paul to Italy and so we're going to kind of go along on this ride with him through the scriptures to Rome. Now, our society puts a high value on leadership. Government, the military, corporations, education, you know, pro sports. They all want result-oriented leaders. And it's said that success or failure in a business or whatever the organization might be, rise or fall depending upon the leadership. Jesus said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 43-45. For leaders in the church... Commitment to the word must never be compromised, never, under any circumstances, even in an emergency situation. You know, many times, oh, well, you know, we need somebody to do this. We need somebody to fill this role or fill this position. So, you know, would, would you do that? An emergency on our part does not make that Uh, a a necessity that God would would want his word negated or or not fulfilled just because we're having an emergency. God knows God can take care of business. You know, so we need to wait upon God and wait wait upon the right person to fill that need and not look at that we're so desperate that we just want to put somebody in that place. God would have us to wait. And that's important for us to understand. Again, that leaders in the church, commitment to the word must never be compromised. And that commitment has to be shown in humility and in love. There are so many things that make spiritual leadership hard. You know, you hear about burnout, disagreement in the churches, rejection by those that that, that they love. And there's many things. Chapter 27 here starts with Paul as a prisoner. Now, he's not in charge of anything. Paul's not in charge of anybody. But in this situation, that all changes. When a serious and dangerous crisis hit the group that Paul was traveling with, by the end of the chapter, Paul the prisoner had become the recognized leader over the whole crisis. His ability to deal with a crisis lifted him to that role. We'll see his leadership start to develop when a powerful storm interrupts their trip to Rome. And in chapters 27 and 28, we will see Paul's leadership. Here in chapter 27, verses 1 through 20, we see Paul as a counselor. And then in verses 21 through 44, we see him as the encourager. When we get to chapter 28... Verses 1 through 10, we see Paul as a helper. And in verses 11 through 31, we see him as a preacher. 
Now this chapter, chapter 27, is about a terrible storm on the Mediterranean Sea that pounded the life out of the ship that was taking Paul and the rest of the people to Rome. It was a storm on the open sea. But this storm can also be related to the storms of life for you and me. Because we do have those storms. We are going to have those storms. When it's smooth sailing, we often think, great, we're spared from any storms. Or they won't touch us. But we're not immune to the storms in life. They will come. It's not a matter of, uh, of if, it's when. They are going to come. And when it's smooth sailing, we often think, like I said, we're, we're spared from those storms. The question is, how will you ride out the storms of life? How will you ride out the storms of life? Will you stay afloat? Or, you, or will you go down with the ship? And it all depends whether or not you are anchored to the rock, Jesus Christ. This was Paul's experience. And as we, as we look at what happened to Paul, we can learn how to overcome the, st- the storms of life too. There are so many spiritual lessons that we can learn from Paul's experience here in chapter 27 as well as chapter 28. So let's begin now with chapter 27 verses 1 through 8. And it reads, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of uh, Adramethium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off, off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of creek off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasea. Again, in verses 1 through 20, we see Paul as the counselor. Here, in verses 1 through 8, Paul heads for Rome. Luke was with Paul on this trip to Italy. Another one of Paul's beloved fellow workers was with him, Aristarchus. All right, Aristarchus, I should say, was with them, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Paul and some other prisoners going to Rome from Caesarea were in the custody of a centurion guard named Julius of the Augustan Regiment. And they all aboarded the, the, uh, um, the Adramethian, this ship that was about to sail to uh, areas along the coast of Asia. So they left and they made it to the port the next day at Sidon. So, in Sidon, Julius treated Paul very kindly. And he even let Paul go to his friends so that they could take care of his needs. And it's obvious that Paul had uh, Julius's trust. And Julius believed that Paul wouldn't do anything to hurt him. Paul earned. Paul earned Julius's trust very quickly. Lesson one here, which is a valuable lesson in leadership. 
trustworthiness. Are you trustworthy? That's important for a leader. People will trust you when they believe that you have their best interest at heart. Not just your own. We saw that with Joseph in, 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 in Potiphar's house. Potiphar trusted, uh, uh, trusted uh, Joseph with all that he had. And because of that trust, he ended up putting uh, Joseph second in command of all Egypt under himself. Because again, he trusted Joseph. You know, we need to be trustworthy when it comes to serving Christ and serving other people. So again, valuable lesson in leadership, trustworthiness. People will trust you, like I said, when they know that, they, that you have their best interest at heart and, and you're not in it for yourself. Paul and his friends left Sidon, verse 4 says, and they, it says they sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. This means they passed between Cyprus and the mainland, staying on the protective side of the island to shelter them from the powerful winds. So the ship continued its trip across the northeastern Mediterranean, Mediterranean, sailing along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. It was also helped by local offshore winds and a west-flowing current. The ship made its way west along the southern shore of Asia Minor, stopping at Myra and Lycia and going ashore. There... Julius needed to find a ship to take them the rest of the way, and he found this Alexandrian ship that was going to Italy. So he puts everybody on board uh, that particular ship. They left Myra. The ship sailed slowly for several, day, several days against the strong northwest wind. And it says they, 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 they went along with difficulty, but they arrived at Nidus, according to verse 7, which was another harbor visited by Egyptian merchant ships. When they, arrived, when, uh, when they arrived off Anitus, they left the protection of the mainland and the strong, powerful winds didn't let them get any, go any further west. So the ship was forced to turn south toward the island of Crete. Then they reached the shelter of Crete, Crete verse 7 says, off Salmon. The ship, having trouble sailing again along the coast. So they rounded the southeast corner of the island and finally made it to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasea, according to verse 8. Now let's look at verses 9 through 12. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because, of, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, notice, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there." The ship was delayed for a long time there in Fair Havens, waiting for the winds to die down, because to keep going would have been dangerous, because it was late in the sailing season, you know, there was in fall. Luke says even the fast, the Day of Atonement, was already over. Traveling was hard. It was dangerous from mid-September to mid-November. All sailing on the open sea stopped from mid-November until at least February. 
And since the Day of Atonement fell in late September or early October, Paul's ship was already far into the dangerous time, this dangerous period. But notice what, what this is what happens when impatience takes over. They wanted to go. The leaders wanted to take off. Paul said, hey, I would advise you not to go. But impatience will end up putting you into uncontrollable places, as we will see as the ship continues to sail in this dangerous weather. So, you know, note that impatience will put you and bring you into uncontrollable places. Many times we hear how God says, wait, wait, wait. Always, it, God's timing is always best. And again, Paul tried to warn them, but they said, no, you know, we're going to take off. You know, he's just just a a passenger, and and it's the experts who say, no, we're going to go ahead. So it seems that the sailors and Julius, all right, the sailors and Julius, they had a meeting to plan what they were going to do. Paul, who was an experienced traveler, was able to give his input. And Paul warns them. In verse 10, he says, sirs, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. He says, shipwreck, loss of cargo, injuries, and danger to our lives. Paul wisely advised them, hey guys, don't go. Hey, Paul had already been in three shipwrecks, according to 2 Corinthians 11.25. He really wasn't all that excited about having a fourth experience in a shipwreck. Being late in the travel season... Already having problems with the winds, Paul warns them that the ship should stay there in fair havens. Hey, stay there through the winter when sailing is safer. Here's another mark of good leadership. Wisdom and caution. Wisdom and caution when it comes to taking risks. You know, here was the, the risk was that the travelers' lives were at risk. The ship was at risk. The valuable cargo of the ship was at risk. But Julius, notice, he listened to the pilot. He listened to the captain of the ship rather than Paul. Why? They're the experts. You know, we're told to listen to the experts, the professionals, those who who are expert in what they know and what they do. They're the experts. Because Fairhavens wasn't a good place to stay for the winter, the majority of the people there decided to leave from there. Again, Remember, popular opinion is not always right. The majority is not always right. Let's take it back to the days of Noah. Out of a couple million people, only eight got on the boat. Everybody said, Noah, you're nuts. And remember, the Bible always talks about a remnant. A remnant, because most people, you know, they, they have their own ideas, their own thoughts. So again, be careful with popular opinion. Their plan was to reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, and spend the winter there because it was a better shelter from the winter storms. Okay, verses 13 through 26. 13 through 26. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire... Putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven." 
And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, notice all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. He's saying, I told you so. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So now they're in the storm. Not long after a decent south wind had kicked up and the sailors decided they had the desired conditions. They felt they had the desired conditions to go. Again, notice, what were they waiting for? Their, their desired conditions. Again, human conditions. Human, man's ideas. All right? That's what got them into this trouble. They pulled up anchor. They left Fair Havens and they sailed along the south shore of Crete, close to the shore, hoping to reach Phoenix in just a few hours. But it wasn't long after they took off before the storm hit. Paul predicted it. He warned them. The dreaded, violent east-northeast wind called Euroclidon, it came roaring down from the mountains of Crete. And it was powerful. And it was a dangerous wind. And it was... This wind was dreaded by all who sailed the Mediterranean. And again, expert sailors, veteran sailors, they feared this powerful wind. When the ship was caught in it and it couldn't turn into the wind, the sailors had no choice but to just let the ship go. Just let it go. And let themselves be driven along out of control, just being tossed to and fro by the wind. You see... They got a little break from the fierce storm under the shelter when it says running under, there in verse 16, running under a, a, a small island called Clauda. Now, using the temporary shelter of Clauda provided the sailors, uh, uh, was good, provided they, they could reinforce the ship to hold it up under the storm. So the first thing they do, they got the ship's lifeboat, this little skiff, all right, and the supplies which was usually towed behind it. They brought it on board, which probably wasn't an easy job because it was probably this little skiff, this little boat was probably filled with water. Then the crew used support cables there in verse 17 in undergirding the ship. That's called frapping the ship. What they would do, they would wrap the cables around the ship's hull and they'd winch them tight to hold the boards of the ship together, helping it to hold up better under the severe pounding of the wind and the waves. The next safeguard they took, that the sailors took, it's not clear. Verse 17 reads like this. The sailors were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars or off Sirtis, the surface sands, which sands which might have been the shallows. It says uh, off of the Sirtis sands, off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor and were thus driven before the wind. The Sirtis was the dreaded graveyard of ships off of the North African coast. 
Even though they were still far away, the sailors didn't know how far nor how far the storm might blow the ship. So lowering the anchor would act as a drag and help keep the ship from drifting that far south. During the following days, the crew took some more steps to help the ship ride out the storm. We read that on the next day, with the ship still being violently tossed around, they started throwing the cargo off of the ship. Some of the cargo, they started throwing it overboard, but not everything, according to verse 38. And then on the third day, they, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. In verses 18 through 19, it was not equipment that was needed for sailing. But none of these things helped. None of these things helped. Because the storm was so bad, they hadn't seen the sun and the stars for many days, making it impossible to plot their course. So it was obvious that this was a serious and severe storm. From then on, when they got in the midst of this storm, from then on, all of their hope of being saved was gradually lost. The high waves, the howling wind, the violent rocking of the ship as first the, the bow, the front of the boat would, would go down and then it would come back up and then the back, the, the stern would go down and would come back. It was just a violent storm that would, the, the front would rise high in the air and then drop quickly down again. So there was this constant up and down motion, just pounding on those waves, blowing the, the, the ocean spray into the sailors' faces, you know, blinding them, those that were on deck. And worst of all, the scary reality of falling overboard and drowning. All of these things combined were working together to discourage the most experienced sailor. And it was at this dark moment that Paul's leadership skills stood out. Because when they had gone a long time without eating, you know, probably seasick, couldn't eat anything, and the difficulty of probably cooking food in the storm, Paul stood up in their midst according to verse 21. They didn't listen to him when they were safely anchored at Fair Havens. But they weren't acting like professional sailors now. They were just a bunch of frantic men trying to stay alive. Paul reminded them, verse 21, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Fair Havens. You would have avoided all this injury and loss. Notice what a difference a storm makes in people's lives. Like I said earlier, smooth sailing, oh, you're happy as can be, everything looks wonderful, and, and you know, you don't, you don't, Elijah, we don't expect these sudden storms. We don't expect them to come. You know, we see it happen in other people's lives, and, and oh, those poor folks, and, and that's so terrible, and, and it's like not thinking, hey, that could happen to me. These were, and these were veteran sailors on this ship. They know how to sail in storms. They've experienced this before, but they were so scared here, they had given up all hope. We have a great example of this in Psalm 107, verses 23 through 28. Listen to what it says. Some went off in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed, observed the Lord's power in action, His impressive works on the deepest seas. God spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and sank again to the depths. This is what was explained in chapter 27. The ship would raise up, you know, and then they'd slam down and they'd just raise up and slam down again. 
So their ships were tossed to the heavens and sank again to the depths. And it says, the sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and they staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. And, and, and it says, they cried out, Lord, help in their time of trouble. You see, given an emergency severe enough, all men will resort to prayer. These were tough men. This wasn't, you know, storms in the, in the sea weren't new to them. But there, this, this particular storm, God showed them his power. And they, felt, they feared, they thought they were going to die. But notice it says, they were at their wit's end when they cried out, Lord, help us. And that's where we have to get many times at our wit's end. Where we're at the end of our rope and we can't do anything else. We can't go anywhere else. That's when we cry out. Because you see, when you're at the end of your rope, that's where you'll find God. When you are at your wit's end, there's where you will find God. But Paul, this Jewish preacher, he was the encourager. He was the encourager. He started out as the counselor. Now we see him as the encourager who seemed to know very little about ships or sailing or storms. He experienced them, but he didn't know much about sailing or ships or, or sailing or storms. He says, take heart in verse 22, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Paul's words give us several principles to help us keep our courage up. And to be fearless in the middle of life storms. And like I said, storms come into our lives. They will come into our lives. And sometimes they come suddenly. And sometimes they're very severe. We don't know how, how severe they're going to be. Or, or, or maybe they not, might not be bad, but it might be a testing. Whatever it might be. One day, and you can relate or maybe you've seen it go through, it happen in other people's lives. One day we're in perfect health. The next day we have a, a little pain or a little something that, that, that's not normal on our body. Within a few hours we find ourselves in the hospital. And we're being told the outlook isn't good. And it all happens overnight. One day you're sitting at home eating. There's a knock at the door. There's a policeman. He says, I'm sorry, I have bad news for you. Your son or your daughter has been killed in a car accident. You see, the storm has come. We don't know what, to what degree. We don't know what it's going to be. But the storm will come. How are we going to stand up in life's storms? Paul's going to show us how to respond to the storm that had overtaken him. First of all, Paul knew God was with him. That's what's important about remembering the scriptures. God says, I will always be with you. Always. Paul knew God was with him. During this storm, an angel of the Lord had appeared to him. It says, Paul says, he stood by, he, the angel stood by me to reassure me that God was with him. And yet Paul was aware of this truth at other times too. Just as we should be aware of the fact that God is with us. The Lord's message to Paul is the same for us. I am with you. And Christians have found Jesus with them as they've gone through life storms over and over and over again. Just look back and see how many times you found Christ was with you over the, uh, in the storms of life. God has calmed their hearts in such a way that it surpasses all human understanding. Secondly, Paul knew along also that he belonged to God. 
Paul knew that he belonged to God. When Paul mentioned God, he identified him as the God to whom I belong. Notice that. The God to whom I belong said we're going to be okay. Because you've been purchased with his own blood, you belong to God. Third, Paul knew he was in the Lord's service. Paul said, I not only belong to him, but I also serve him in verse 23. God said Paul was to be a witness in Rome. He hasn't gotten there yet, but God told him. And if God told him, he knew he was going to be there. You see, and if God says something, we can trust what he says. God told Paul, you are going to serve me in Rome. Even though he hadn't got there yet. And I doubt he figured he'd get there the way he was going. He probably figured it would be a smooth trip. But we can't ever, that's not guaranteed. But we are guaranteed we'll get there. We're just not promised how easy or hard it might be. You're going to serve me in Rome, Paul. No storm, no other circumstances was going to take Paul's life. God was going to take care of Paul because God said, you are going to Rome. Now, we may not get special special messages like Paul did. You know, giving us any certain length of service or, or, or specific future place of service. But this we can know. That as long as God has work for us to do, He will save us to do it. He will protect us to do it. God will not be frustrated, so neither should we. If God has something for us to do, He will keep us alive to do it. He will keep us going to do it. And if we have finished the work, all right, if we have finished the work that God has given us to do, why would we want to hang around here anymore? That's what Paul said earlier on. He says, you know, I want to go to heaven. And and he says, I'm torn between the two, but I know that if I'm here, he says, but he says, I know that God has more work for me to do here. So that was what he wanted. We may go to heaven now. But until then, we need to get on with our father's business. Paul said to to be, God said, be occupied till I come. That is, be busy with the things I've given you to do until I come. And next, know that Paul trusted God in all circumstances, and that's where we have a really difficult time. We need to trust God in all circumstances. Paul said in verse 25, For I believe God, notice, For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Just as God said, it's going to happen. Paul knew God. Paul knew God. So it wasn't just God being with him or belonging to him or God having work for him to do. Paul also knew God as the God of all circumstances and he was able to trust God for all of life's details. No matter how big or how small. You know, when I lose my job or when I get a terminal illness or someone I love has died, these things aren't impossible to God. And they're just circumstances that he brings into my life for his glory and my good. Romans 8, 28. Verses 27 through 44. Verses 27 through 44. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drowning 
I'm sorry, drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So the water is getting more shallow. Then fearing lest we should run, run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had left, uh, let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, no, listen to this, this is really important. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute, but you should keep underline that and make your own little note. He said, unless they stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day. Notice, the 14th day you have waited and continued. So they've gone two weeks without food. The 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the, in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, waiting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get, get to land, and the rest, some on the boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to the land. Again, Paul being the encourager here, because of Paul's faith and what he knew about God, he was able to encourage everybody else. When that storm hit, he came out as the real leader. When a crisis hits, that's when you will see what a person is really made of. When that crisis comes, it will show the nature of that person. Paul stopped this crew. He prevented the crew from abandoning the ship too soon. God had said to everyone, he said everybody's going to be saved. But notice, they all had to stay on the ship. They all had to stay together. Paul refused to compromise that situation. And here's the point of that, they, unless they all stayed on the ship, they would be saved. Many times we need to, you know, we need to undergo whatever difficulty we're saying. Now see, their, 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 their idea was, we need to get off of this thing. We need to get off of this ship. We need to get out of here. We need to, to save ourselves. Paul said, you need to stay on the boat or you won't be saved. God says many times you need to ride this thing out, whatever, whatever you're going through, whatever the situation you're in, you're in, in order to be delivered from it, you need to go through it. And it's so important to understand that when we have the temptation to jump ship, to take off, to, to, to run, to save ourselves, that's when we're going to get hurt. That's when we're going to get messed up and we're going to miss out on what God had prepared for us, what he wanted to do for us.
Paul stopped the crew from abandoning the ship too soon. Again, God said everybody would be saved, but everybody had to stay together, and Paul was not going to compromise on those instructions. Paul said it there in verse 33 and 34, you haven't eaten for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good. He says, because not a hair of your head is going to perish. And then it says in verse 35, Paul took bread, he gave thanks to God, and he gave it to all, the, all those who were there. That was Christianity, true Christianity and leadership even during the storms of life. Paul was taking care of those around him. The world, and notice, because of Paul, many of these who weren't saved, their life was spared. The world has no idea how much it owes because of Christians around them. Here were soldiers and sailors and prisoners, 276 in all, according to verse 37. All of them were spared. Why? Because of Paul. Because of Paul. God often saves the wicked for the sake of the godly. And yet when it's all over, most of those people probably went their way and never thought twice about thanking God for saving them. Just before Jesus was arrested and crucified, He gave a sermon on the Mount of Olives and he warned of wars and rumors of wars, telling us that life is filled with trouble and that you will experience your share of it. But he also added, see that you are not troubled by it. Well, you say, how can you not be troubled by war with its tragedy? How can you not be troubled by life's storms as as difficult and, and as painful as they might be? How can you... Not be troubled by sickness and disease and and persecution or a loss of job or, you know, wayward children or, or death. How? How are you not troubled? Because God is the God of all the circumstances. And that God is able to and really does save us in the midst of them. You see, our duty is to trust Him at all times, in all situations, and bear witness to Him as long as He allows us to stay in this world. In closing, we should, we should note some, again, there's more practical lessons that this chapter teaches us. First of all, storms often come when we disobey the will of God. Jonah is a good example of this truth. But this wasn't the case with Paul. Paul wasn't at fault here. The centurion in charge of the ship was at fault. Sometimes we suffer because of the unbelief of others. Just as sometimes people are saved just because of the godly. Secondly, storms have a way of revealing character. Some of the sailors selfishly tried to escape, jump ship. Others could only hope for the best. But Paul trusted God and he obeyed God's will. Third, even the worst storms cannot stop God and his purposes. Paul got the word of assurance that they needed, and God overruled the storm so that his servant, Paul, got to Rome. And lastly, storms can give us chances to serve others and be a witness for Jesus Christ. Paul was the most valuable man, valuable man on that ship. Paul knew how to pray. He had faith in God. And he was in touch with God. And remember, crisis doesn't make your character. It reveals your character. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful chapter, Lord. And 
all the lessons that are provided there, God. And Lord, help us to, to study it on our own and to watch what Paul did. What enabled him to do what he did? What gave him the ability to stand courageous and to, to encourage the others that were with him, God? It's because you stood by him. And you gave him the assurance that you were with him. And that's what enabled him to get through the storm. And that's the assurance that we have that will get us through the, the storms of life is the assurance that you are with us. That you stand by us through thick and thin all the time. And you will till the day you call us home. So Father, we thank you. And may we learn to be like Paul here in chapter 27, a counselor and an encourager. So we look to you, Father. And Lord, we thank you for the offering that we will receive today, God. We always thank you for your goodness. We thank you for taking care of us, Lord, and for supplying all of our need. And you've promised to do that. And you've never failed one word of it. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.